I think one of the one of the the struggles that we face in our understanding of God is that God's created intent for all that he's made is joy. When God places Adam and Eve in the garden, he says to them, be fruitful, multiply. He says, here is what I've made. Now, enjoy it. The ancient catechism says, asks the question, why, were, why did God create people? And the answer is he created people to worship him, to glorify him, and to enjoy him forever. God's created intent for all that he has made is joy. And I think when life pushes in on us, when, when disappointments come, when, when life is a struggle and pain and burden, we sort of lose track of that. And we start wondering if maybe God's intent for us is not so much joy as it is pain and struggle and heartache because life has so much of that. But when we read the scriptures, we find again and again and again that Jesus and others say, it's the joy of the Lord, Nehemiah says, is your strength. Jesus tells his disciples, I've come to give you life, abundant life. I've come to bring you joy like you were created to experience. And that's what comes to mind when I read the 150th Psalm. This psalm about praise and worship of God is really the undercurrent of of bringing us back to God's intent for us and for all of creation that we would experience the deepest joy as his creatures. Psalm 150, it seems that Psalm 150 is, is sort of a climax to the rest of the psalms. It is, it is the apex. It is where the Psalms are eventually leading us through all the ups and the downs and the successes and the defeats and the, and the joys and the sorrows. All of it is leading us to Psalm 150 that declares, praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. It makes me think of a, of a symphony, of, a, of a, an orchestra coming together and you begin with a, a flute and an oboe. And then you add some strings and then you, you begin to bring in some brass and more flutes and more strings and more brass. And the timpani joins in and you, it, it swells to this great crescendo by the time it's done. I, I love to conduct music. Um, when I, I've had opportunities through the years to conduct choirs and things. But most of my conducting is done when nobody else is around. You know, I've just got some headphones on, and I'm listening to music. And if you were to catch a glimpse of me doing that, you'd probably laugh the whole time. Because, I mean, I am really doing this. You know, I'm bringing in the strings, a little less brass. You know, I'm doing all these things, going with all of this. And, you know, and, and, and I love to do that. And I've been wondering, why is that so much fun for me? Why is that so enjoyable? And I think it's because it helps me to truly engage with the music. Because it's hard for me to sit back and just listen. It's one of the reasons why I have friends who, you know, when they're studying and preparing sermons, they have music playing in the background. I cannot do that. Because I either want to sing along or I want to conduct along or I want to engage. Because if I'm going to listen to music, I want to be a part of it. 
I want to engage with it. And I've discovered that when I do that, the music comes alive for me. And it begins to get into me a whole lot more than if I just sit and listen. I wonder if that isn't what the psalmist is telling us here. That the praising God is not something you can do from a distance. It's not something you can do lethargically. It's something that you do with your being and, and you engage with it. And, and to praise God is to engage ourselves with him and all of his glory and all of his greatness. And I love the fact that in this 150th Psalm, you have this diversity all through it of how we praise and where we praise, even why we praise. And he be, the psalmist begins by, by saying, praise God in his sanctuary, in his mighty heaven, for his mighty works, his unequaled greatness. And then he gets into what we use to, to praise him. The blast of the ram's horn, the lyre, the harp, the tambourine, the dancing. And that, I think that was not in my version when I was growing up. I'm pretty sure that was blacked out. Um, strings and flutes and the clash of cymbals and the clanging cymbals. Let everything praise the Lord. There is this diversity of praise. And, and, you know, sometimes when we come together to worship, when we think about worship, what we're really thinking about is, what do I like? What speaks to me? What, what's in, what, what resonates with me? It's interesting to me that the Psalms, this, the word halal, that is the Hebrew word that's translated praise over and over and over again here, it's most often used in the plural sense. Can we praise God by ourselves? Yes. Should we praise God by ourselves? Yes. But God's real intent when he think talking about praising him, it's corporate in nature. And sometimes that's hard for us. Because we want worship, if we do it with other people, to be what we want. How we want And God keeps calling us away from that kind of self-focused mindset to the bigger picture. Sometimes when we're in worship with people who see it differently and who want it to be different, it sort of sounds like clanging cymbals to us. We're like the Grinch standing up at the top of Mount Strumpet looking down on the Who's in Whoville. And as they wake up Christmas morning, this is before he has... You know, before his, he's thinking about what he's going to do and describing how much he hates them. And he, they wake up Christmas morning and he says, I hate the singing. I hate their joy of the gift wrapping. And what I hate most of all is the noise, 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 noise. You remember that? And I think sometimes that's what it feels like to us. Because it's not what we want. It's not the way we would do it. It's not how we are thinking about it. But what seems to us to be cacophony is to God harmony. God loves harmony. God loves, it is a beautiful sound to him when his people come together and we bring our worship with all of its diversity and all of our likes and dislikes and gifts and abilities and we worship him together and we blend all of that into one. God is pleased. It is a beautiful sound to him. But it's not just about worship here. I think it's about all of life and understanding that there is no place and there is nothing we do that cannot be given to God as an act of praise 
and worship. When we are studying for an exam, we can worship God. When we are giving a lecture, we can worship God. When we are filing papers, we can worship God. When we are doing such mundane things around our house as repairing something or cleaning the toilets or whatever it is we may be doing, it can be an act of worship to God if we want it to be. And it's all of us coming together, all of our gifts, all of our abilities, all the ways in which we engage this world are opportunities to worship God and to join our hearts and voices with each other. Now, worship is not, some people will say, wow, God must be so insecure that he has to, we have to keep telling him how great he is. You know, that's not what this is about. It's not about God being insecure and we have to stroke his ego. Rather, it's about recognizing that God is the source of life and God is the source of joy and God is the source of everything good. And when we praise him, we are simply acknowledging that and connecting ourselves to that and saying, "My life, ultimately, my life is not about me, it's about you. Because every other way of understanding our lives than it's about him is leading us not to joy, but to destruction. It's about shining the light of Christ. It's about, decla- about God. It's just it's declaring who God is. The word halal, as I was reading about it, it has some roots in talking about to shine. And so it talks, it's used to describe the celestial beings and what they do. And you can see where, would, you can see the movement from meaning to shine to praise. It is declaring, it is reflecting, it is, it is making known, it is shining and sharing the greatness of who God is. But that's going to mean God's at the center, not us. I think that can be a difficulty for us because, quite frankly, we like the universe to revolve around us. Right? I mean, that's, that's our struggle. I was reading an article a few weeks ago about, uh, was an article about preaching. And, and, and the gentleman was asking the question about what's the primary, ultimate purpose of preaching? And he said most of the time what he had been taught... And most of the time what he had thought, and I agreed with him, was that it's getting to application. Everyone is sitting, listening, and thinking, what does this mean for me? What do I take from this? What do I get from this? And he said, I've been thinking a lot about that lately. He said, what if if the ultimate purpose of preaching is worshiping God? Now, does that mean we eliminate application? Not by any means. It's important. We need to do that. But that's not the ultimate purpose. And I, as I was pondering that, I think the same thing could be said for worship gatherings and for the reading of Scripture. We tend to think Scripture is meaningful or not, that Scripture is important or not, based on what do I get out of it. And if Scripture doesn't seem to speak to us, then we tend to ignore it. 
Maybe it would change the way we read and study Scripture and think about Scripture if we said, God, how do I worship you through this? How do I see you more clearly? How do I adore you more clearly? How do I worship you and praise you more deeply? Now, does that mean that we read Scripture and we don't care what it says to us? Not by any means. That's important. It's a part of it. But it's secondary. It's the result of the focus being on God instead of on us. Because when the focus is on us we and the application, we tend to think in a very utilitarian kind of way. And that's when you start getting into legalism and hypocrisy and self-righteousness. Because I can check the boxes. I've done what I need to do. I've figured it all out. And all the while God is saying, but what about me? Where am I in this mix? I think that's why it's important to see Psalm 150 in the context of Psalm 1. For a long time, I think many people looked at the Psalms and thought they were 150 separate poems that really had very little to do with each other. But more and more scholars are seeing that there is a purpose to them. There's a purpose to their order. There is a unity in the Psalms. And I think that is so true. Because you look at Psalm 1 and it describes who is following God, who finds the joy of God. And you get to Psalm 150 and it says, yeah, we found that to be true. And what does Psalm 1 say to us about it? It says to us that, that we, we find that joy in delighting in the law. Now, I got to tell you, we probably don't think of delight when we think of the law most of the time. Laws in general. I mean, if you want, you get out on 390, you go into Rochester, and you decide, you know, I really feel the need for speed today, and you think, I'm going 85. I, I, I just feel it. Nobody's around, I'm just doing it. Why don't we do that? Well, maybe because it would be dangerous, but probably more than anything else, is because we're not quite sure if a state trooper is going to be over the next rise. We do our income taxes. I don't know of anybody who says, I love paying taxes. This is the greatest thing in the world. I wish I could do more. I wish I could do this all the time. Nobody wants to pay taxes, right? So why do we do it? Is it because we're citizens of this, of this country and it's a part of what it means to be connected to each other and to be a part of the bigger picture? Or is it because we don't really want to get a letter from the IRS? We tend to think of laws as restrictive. And quite frankly, they are restrictive. But what we find when we read the, the scriptures and what the psalmist is telling us is, I have discovered that everything God asks of us is for our good. For the psalmist, probably their, their law that is described here would be the Pentateuch, those first five books of the Old Testament, perhaps some of the prophets, maybe some of their history, but mainly, mainly the what Moses brought to the people of Israel from God. How to live. And everything about what Moses brings to them is, is for their benefit. It's that, look, here's how you can find joy in life relationally, spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally. And anything God does says that's a restriction 
It's for our good. It's for our benefit. It's for their benefit. And all the ways in which we view the law, instead of seeing it as something that just restricts us and takes away joy, it's actually the pathway to joy. Because it's leading us to God. Helping us to understand God. And we have more of the scriptures than they did. We have more of what God teaches us. And we, we know things now that they didn't know then. How do we know that there was a baby born in Bethlehem? Because the scriptures tell us. How do we know that there, this man, this baby, eventually went to a cross? Because the scriptures tell us. How do we know that the tomb is empty? How do we know that he rose to... To be with his father. How do we know that he's promised to come back? Because the scriptures tell us. How do we know that God is loving and forgiving and good and gracious and merciful and truth? Because we know it in the scriptures. And the psalmist says, I find such delight in studying the word. Because it reveals to me who God is. And he's found like the psalmist in in Psalm 34 that says, taste and see that the Lord, he's good. Eugene Peterson says he went to visit a prisoner one day when he was a pastor and walked into the house and the woman was sitting by her front window doing embroidery. She had the, the... Material stretched out over an oval frame. As you've seen embroidery, you know how that works. It's got to be as tight as possible in order to do the embroidery. And when he walked in, she looked up and she said to him, Pastor, I figured out what's wrong with my life. Those are words every pastor would love to hear. That's great. That's awesome. He said, tell me about it. She said, I've been looking at this embroidery and looking at this frame and I realized something. My life is frameless. My thoughts... My actions, my words, they're all loose and sloppy. I don't, I don't have any frame for them. And, and, and my life is it's just going all over the place and there's no structure in my life. And I realize now that I'm missing that. And so we sat down and we talked for a while about the framework of life that God has given us in his word. And that's what the psalmist is telling us. He delights in the law. And here's the interesting thing about 1 and 150. There is a cyclical nature to what both of them are telling us. Because when you begin to look in the scriptures, as Psalm 1 says, and you begin to see it and delight in it and and begin to understand who God is as we find it there, you want to praise God for what you see. And the more we praise God, the more we want to find out about God. And it drives us back to the scriptures and we learn more about who God is and and he reveals more and more of himself to us. And that leads us to want to praise him more. And again, the more we praise him, the more we want to know about him. And you have this whole cycle of praise and learning and understanding and revelation of who God is. And it is the journey of what it means to be a Christian. That's the joy of the journey. Continually understanding more and praising God and letting that lead us to wanting to know more and more. And this is what the psalm of these bookends are trying to tell us. That in the journey of life, in the struggles and the burdens, in the ups and the downs, the success and the failures, we see our lives in the context of who God is. And we find that God is good. When life is hard, God is good. 
When we experience pain, God is good. When we are challenged, God is good. When we feel guilty, God is good. When life is perfect, God is good. Every moment, God is good. We have every reason in the world to praise him. C.S. Lewis said something to the effect that when, when we begin to understand the, the magnificence and the beauty of God as he is described to us, then adoration and worship really are nothing more than simply being awakened. Of living in the real world. And that's what the psalmists are calling us to. And that's what we want to do this morning. You probably have noticed that the worship order is a little different today. That's intentional. And and the reason for that is because now that we've talked a bit about worship and praising God, we want to do it. And so we're going to sing together. We're going to offer prayers of, of gratitude to God. We're going to give you an opportunity if you want to share expressions of praise to God. We're going to give our gifts in gratitude and thanksgiving to God. Because we believe that God is good. And we want to to declare that with every part of our being.